Jude, verses 1 to 16. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he kept them in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves to the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favouritism to gain advantage. There's a lot in that one, isn't there? I I think I've decided I'm going to have to uh, run a Bible study on on Jude next time we do our Bible studies Um, because there's so much to dig into there in God's Word. Um, But we're just going to take it in, in, in one piece, this bit today. So... 
In the Gospels, we actually don't get much of a, we don't hear much about Jesus' own family. Uh, we do know that at one time they thought he was crazy. So he was, had, he was there and had a whole beach, bunch of people coming around him and, and the family sort of come to grab him and take him home. They go, oh, he's just a bit loopy. Don't, pay no attention to him and stuff. But, but when Jesus was raised from the dead, something changed. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we get a picture of the remaining 11 apostles. There's only 11 because Judas has killed himself. And they're together in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers, together, in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And we know the names of his brothers. There was James, who went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, there was Joseph, Simon, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, because um, Judas was actually a very common name. Uh, Judas actually means Judah, right, who was one of the sons of Jacob, along with Simon and Benjamin and Reuben and Joseph, right? These were all sons of Judah, uh, sorry, sons of Jacob. And Judas means Judah, and that's why it was such a common name. Anyway, Jesus' brother James, he wrote the book of James, and one of his other brothers wrote the book that we know as the book of Jude. Now, the thing is, um, so that we don't get Judas, the brother of Jesus, mixed up with the evil Judas, Judas Iscariot, um, our English translators have given Judas a nickname, Jude. Right? So in the original Greek, He's, it's actually written, he calls himself Judas. Judas, the brother of James. Now, because we know that he's the brother of James, we also know that he's the brother of Jesus. But, but Judas is so humble and he's so unassuming. He, he doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus. He calls himself the brother of James and the slave of Jesus or the servant of Jesus. Anyway... So we'll, we'll just call him by his nickname, Jude, so we don't get him mixed up with the evil Judas either. So we're into another one-chapter book of the Bible, and we're actually going to take this one over three weeks, uh, the biggest chunk we've taken today. And the letter is addressed to those who are beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus, called. Now, if anyone's been following along in their own Bibles, um, you'll see that your Bible has it in a different order to that. Um, but this is the order that it is in, in the original language. Beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus, called. Now, I'm not sure why just about every single modern translation of the Bible starts out with called. It's, it's probably because maybe 2,000 years of Christian theology, we like to think that we're called first and then these other things come afterwards. But that's not the order that it's in here. Anyway, those terms are all very important. So we know about the love of God, don't we? That's why Jesus died on the cross, to save us from our sins. Because our Heavenly Father, he loves us so much. But to be beloved in God the Father is more than that. Right? God loved everyone. He loved everyone on this earth so much that he sent his son to reconcile us to him. But when we respond to that love, as Jesus' brothers did, 
and we, we give our hearts to Jesus and we become servants and slaves of our Lord, that's when we become the beloved in God the Father. Are you with me? There's, there's two different stages of this love. God loves every single person. But then God acted on that love by sending Jesus, which gives us the chance to become the beloved in God the Father. It's, it's the status that we have because of our faith. Next, in faith we are kept for Jesus. We can be sure of this. Through every trial, through every persecution, we are kept for Jesus. Even if we lose our lives, we're not lost. He keeps us unto eternal glory. Now, later on in this same letter, and we're going to get to that bit next week, we're going to be told to keep yourselves in the love of God. So what is it? Are we kept for Jesus? Does God do the keeping? Or do we keep ourselves? Well, it's obvious that it's both. While we keep following Jesus as his disciples, that's the bit we do, he keeps us. And we're going to talk more about that next week um, because we've got a pretty big chunk to cover this week and it comes up again next week, so we'll look at it more next week. And thirdly, we are called. Just as Jesus called his first disciples, that required a response, didn't he? He said, come, follow me. And it's the same today. He calls each and every one of us today, come, follow me. Then we've got to choose how we're going to respond. Are we going to follow him or are we going to follow ourselves? So the address of the letter is to those who are beloved in God, kept for Jesus, called. Does anyone think the letter might be written to them? Is there anyone here who's beloved in Jesus? Loved in God the Father, yep. Anyone who is kept for the Lord Jesus. Is anyone here called? Yeah. So Jude's prayer for us then is may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you or be in abundance to you. And that, that's a beautiful prayer. May mercy be in abundance to you. Peace in abundance, love in abundance. How shallow and how misdirected prayer can be when we pray for worldly stuff like wealth in abundance or having fun times in abundance or other stuff like that. When we could be praying for godly stuff like mercy, peace, love. Right, so that's the introduction. Now, as Jude takes up his pen, he's a bit torn. What he'd love to be able to do is to write to them and talk to them about the common salvation that we have. He'd love to be able to talk about the wonderful, life-giving salvation of the gospel. That's what he wants to be talking about. But unfortunately, he cannot do that. He cannot do that at this point because he feels he must write about something else. Now, as a preacher and as a Bible teacher, I get this. There's nothing that I would rather do than be able to just every single week just talk about the mercy, grace and, God, and peace of God. Um, we love hearing about that stuff. Love to talk about the blessings. But it seems that time after time after time, 
as we work our way through the scriptures, there's a whole heap of tough stuff that keeps coming up. Stuff that might be a bit controversial at times. Stuff that might be challenging us to change things in our lives. Stuff that might be challenging us to go, hey, I've actually thought that I was on the right track, but I've got to make some serious changes if I'm going to be faithful to God. There's some really tough stuff. And so Jude says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, what does it mean to contend for the faith? Well, the faith is what we believe. To use a theological word, we might say doctrine. Now, the problem is many people in the church hate the thought of doctrine. Oh, doctrine, that's the stuff that divides us. Doctrine is simply teaching. Doctrine is what we believe. It is the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles have laid down the foundations of the faith. They taught it to the early church. It's now written in our Bibles. The faith is unchanging. It doesn't change. It cannot change. It is not something that we can alter to make it more appealing to a new generation. And Jude, he seems to have a bit of a bee in his bonnet as he writes this. He is compelled to exhort those who are reading his letter to contend for the faith. The faith that we hold today must be the same faith that the apostles taught to the early church. If the faith that that we teach in this church is not the faith that the apostles taught to the early church, quite frankly, we are not Christian. And to contend for the faith is to struggle for the faith. It is to fight for the faith. The the Greek word there, which is translated as contend, is epagonizesthai. Did you hear the word agonise in there? That should give you a bit of a hint as to what this word is about. Yes, we struggle for the faith. Yes, we fight for the faith. But it's agonising as we do so. It's going to hurt. We we exert intense effort on behalf of the faith. Now, when I read this, I knew straight away, now, more than ever before, We need to be a people who are contending for the faith. In the world in in which we live, it seems that the Christian religion, more than any other religion, is under attack. Have you noticed that? But then I realised, no, that's actually just normal. Jesus told us, the world will hate you because of me. Don't be surprised that they do. Now, how often do we hear that preached at an evangelical meeting? Come to Jesus. By the way, Jesus said the world will hate you when you do. But we need to know this. But the picture that Jude paints is not so much about contending for the faith in the world. It's in the Christian church that we need to be contending for the faith. The faith is under attack in the Christian church. 
I hope your eyes are open enough to see that. And as I read this letter of Jude, I realized, oh, that's not a new thing either. The faith was under attack when Jude wrote this letter. And the words that he wrote almost 2,000 years ago, he could just as easily be writing it to the Christian church on this New Year's Day 2023. Now, I'm not one who's much for New Year's resolutions because they've failed so many times. But if we were to make a New Year's resolution today, how about we respond to Jude's appeal to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints? I'm going to warn you, like most New Year's resolutions, it comes with a cost. Right, so if you make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to lose a lot of weight this year, well, it comes with a cost, no chocolate or chips. Or if I'm going to have the New Year's resolution, I'm going to get really fit this year, well, it comes with a cost, lots of exercise. And to contend for the faith means that we also have to live the faith. And that will involve great personal cost and persecution. Right out. So what in the church was so at risk for the faith? Certain people had crept into the church unnoticed. That means they fitted right on in. But underneath it all, they were ungodly. Now, if you think of the image that Jesus gave of a wolf in sheep's clothing, this is what he's talking about. Somebody who creeps in, unnoticed, but underneath, they're ungodly. How do we know that they're ungodly? It's because they perverted the teaching. They perverted the faith. They perverted the grace of God into sensuality. Right? So their twisted thinking went something like this, and it's quite common in the church today, and sometimes we might even find it in ourselves. We're about to sin and we go, oh, I know that this is a sin, but God will forgive me. Have you ever done that? Be honest now, because I have. But this is what it looks like. If the message of the gospel is grace and God forgives us of our sins, therefore it doesn't really matter if I sin. More grace, more forgiveness, more experience of God. Woohoo! And some will take it even further, and it becomes what we call antinomianism. So nomos is the law, so against the law, nothing to do with the law. We don't like it. So even though, and their teaching might be, even though the Bible might identify a particular thing as a sin, well, I now live by the Spirit. I don't live by the commandments of God that are written down on the pages. I live by the Spirit. And so all of the moral teachings and all of the commands are a thing of the past because we now live by grace and love. And so if I don't feel that something is a sin, well, it's not really a sin, even though the Bible says it is. That's old hat. And, and it even goes further. And if, and if I don't feel something is a sin, but I'm feeling drawn to do this, well, that must be God doing it for me. Um, this is the way he wants me to be. Right? So this is the sort of perverted logic that perverts the grace of God into sensuality. And, and the fact that Jude uses the word sensuality 
highlights for us the particular type of sin he's talking about. It's that which pleases our carnal nature or our fleshly nature. And usually when the Bible talks about sensuality, it's talking about sexual sin. Um, or it can be other physical pleasures type sin. And we see exactly that sort of corruption in the church today. Many have departed from the faith that was set down once and for all by the apostles. Some churches now embrace same-sex marriage. And the teaching that goes along with that is, well, this is the way God has made you. Therefore, we, we should celebrate th this. Th we should celebrate that God has made you like this. So let's m celebrate this with a marriage. But it's not only about that. Men and women today in the church are shacking up more than ever, they, more than ever before, before they're married. And most feel there's, there's no problem with that. And just like the world, some will move on from partner to partner to partner. Do you understand what this is? This is lawlessness. It is a rejection of God. Now, th there's two groups of people that Jude is writing about here. The first group are those whom the letter is addressed to. He's appealing to them to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And his prayer for them is that mercy, peace and love would be multiplied to them. But the godless ones who have crept into the church, they don't get the prayer for mercy, peace and love. They cannot get that prayer because long ago, they were designated for condemnation and judgment. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 16, verse four, that says, Yahweh has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of judgment. Sometimes we wonder, how could God let that happen when evil happens in the church? God, how could you let that happen? But his word is very clear. There will be evil within the church. And on the day of the Lord, all workers of evil, including those who have gone unnoticed as they crept into the church, will be judged. So, the first thing the godless are condemned for is perverting the grace of God into sensuality. The second thing is they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. To deny the lordship of Jesus and to deny him as our only master is reflected in what we just talked about. When we discard his rules, when we discard his commandments and we make up our own ethics, and we make up our own morals, that is rejecting Jesus as Lord. You see, if Jesus is Lord, he is the one we obey. If Jesus has saved us from our sin, he didn't save us so that we could go on sinning. And if I live in ungodliness, I am denying the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
But there's another aspect to this. They deny that Jesus Christ is our only master and Lord. The faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints leaves us in no doubt. There is one Lord. There is one master. There is no other God. And we deny him when we acknowledge any other God. And what a wicked generation we are when some segments of the Christian church hold joint prayer meetings with other religions. Did you know some churches do that? Some churches have joint prayer meetings with Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and other religions. I hope you feel sick in the guts when you hear things like that. Our Lord Jesus Christ is God the Son. He is the one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God and one God only. Our Lord Jesus, he was there at creation. And in today's reading, we hear that it was Jesus who saved the people out of Egypt. Have you ever read that before? It's right there in the book of Jude. Jesus saved the people out of Egypt. How could he do that? Because Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it's also Jesus who judged the people of Israel after he had led them out of Egypt and they refused to enter the promised land. Now, I had a conversation with a Christian minister a few months ago about the wrath of God. And he was quite angry and he said, that's Old Testament stuff. And many believe that the God of the Old Testament is a different God to the God of the New Testament. Now, I just want to say to you, if that's what you believe, then you haven't understood the Old Testament. And you certainly haven't understood the New Testament. The whole of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the story of a God of grace and mercy, calling, redeeming, and at times disciplining those whom he loves. And it was every bit as much God the Son leading the people out of Egypt as it was God the Father. And it was every much God the Son who judged their faithlessness when they refused to enter the promised land as what it was God the Father. And anyone who tells you that there's no judgment in the New Testament have not read it. And if I believe the human teaching of once saved, always saved, then I'm going to have a fair bit of trouble with what Jude is teaching us here. Because this is exactly what he does. He gives us examples of judgment, even for those who have chosen to follow God. As they started out following God, but then they sinned and they became godless or faithless. And he gives us these examples because he is saying, if the judgment of God was true for them, you'd better watch out. Don't you lose faith and stop following Jesus because you could be stumbling into the same error. And he says, I, I want to remind you, although you did at one time already fully know it, right? At one time they knew this, but then they'd forgotten about it. So he gives us examples of this. First example, 
Jesus saved the people out of Egypt. They were saved. They followed him across the sea and through the desert. He disciplined them at one time when, when they made the golden calf. But then they followed him some more. But when they got to the edge of the promised land, they lost faith. They came to that point where they no longer believed. And God was saying, go into this land. And they go, no, no, we don't believe. They'll kill us. They lost faith. And Jesus destroyed them. Second example is the angels who didn't stay within their established positions of authority. Lust and pride led to the downfall of the angels. They saw women and thought, oh, they're beautiful, and they came down to earth to mate with the women. God set limits for them. You're not allowed to go down there and do that. But they turned their back on God and they did. They wouldn't listen to God's authority. And now the fallen angels, demons we call them, are chained in gloomy darkness, awaiting their final judgment. And many who claim to be Christians are very sure of themselves and say, well, I won't be judged because I'm a Christian. And Jude reminds us, even the angels will be judged. Do you think you're going to be safe? Remember the words of Jesus when he said there will be those that say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Third example, Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of sexual immorality and unnatural sexual desire. And you'd think that Jude was writing to this generation, a generation where sexuality and gender is explored and where homosexual relationships are being normalised. Um, I reckon it's probably only in the last four or five years, but it's just about every single television show you turn on now, you might watch one, two, three, four episodes and you just start getting into the, into the swing of things and you, yes, I like this character and I, yes, this character's like this. And then something pops out and, oh, this bloke's married to another bloke. Oh. And, oh, this woman is married to another woman. And it's all presented as very good and nice and normal. Have you noticed that on the televisions? This, this is the way that this is trying to be normalised. And there's even been a push to try and normalise this sort of stuff in the church. But the Apostle Jude is telling us that the judgement poured out by God one time in the past in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, serves a purpose for us today. It's an example of punishment of eternal fire for all who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Now, do you realise he's talking here about leaders within the church? Leaders within the church who are teaching that this is normal, who are teaching that this is okay. Woe to the leaders in the Christian church who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Woe to those who normalise and give their support to perverted sexual behaviour. Now, I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but Jude loves his triplets. He, he, he works in threes. 
There's beloved, kept, called. There's three blessings, mercy, peace, love. There's three examples of judgment. Israel on the edge of the promised land, the angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. And now there's three broad offenses. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, they blaspheme the glorious ones or the, the spiritual beings. They defile the flesh. That could include material greed, more likely sexual sin, self-centered indulgence. They reject authority. In their pride and in their arrogance, what kinds of authority might they reject? They might reject God's word. They might reject apostolic authority. We don't listen to what the apostles teach because now we've got other forms of authority. They might reject the governing authorities, those whom God has appointed, and they reject God himself and his commandments. And thirdly, in their pride, they see themselves as being above even, even the angels. And Jude uses a, a, a strange example there of when the archangel Michael was fighting with the devil. Um, but he says, even Michael didn't blaspheme the evil one. He just left it up to God. The Lord rebuke you. Now, we could, it'd take a long time for us to go in, dig into that. But I think the quickest way to do it is, is to think, I think verse 8 might be a key to helps us to understand what's going on here. There were certain false teachers in the church who claimed to have a greater spiritual insight and authority. They claimed to have a revelation from God that nobody else had. And it was a revelation that, that they would say would, would override previous teaching. Jude says they relied on their own dreams, right? So they claimed to be spiritual. I've had a revelation from God. You know, God's told me what this Bible passage means. You might think it means this, but God's told me it means this. And you listen to me. They believe that they're more spiritual, but far from being spiritual, their understanding of spiritual matters was base animal instinct, which isn't spiritual, is it? It's been a lot of years since I've ridden a horse, um, and the horses are probably thankful for that. But when I used to go mustering on a, on a horse, I was always intrigued at how a horse's instincts are very different to a human's instinct, right? So if I get startled by something, I go, oh, what's that? Oh, I should be scared of that, I'll run away. But a horse, if you were mustering in the scrub and some birds fly out from the cane grass beside you, the horse in, in that much time will take about six sideways steps and then it'll turn and go, what was that that I just ran away from? Right? Animal instinct, it's, it's different. Um, Trent, you work with sheep. When you let sheep out, I'm always amazed when it might be just bare ground, but one sheep, for some reason, jumps. And then all of those following him jump in the same spot. You've seen that, haven't you? Strange animal instinct. Um, and a person's carnal desires are animal instinct. Whether it be a sexual desire, whether it be a financial desire, whether it be a physical desire, or whether it just be a desire to have something. 
animal instinct is, if I want it, I can have it. It's if I crave it, then there has to be a way that's right for me to have it. And if I desire it, then that must be God putting it on my heart. It's not God putting it on your heart. It's base animal instinct. It is not the spirit of God. And Jude says to these false teachers, woe, woe to them. By the way, woe, when it says that in the Bible, that means, oh, I'm really sorry for you because it's, it's really bad news for you. Woe, woe. He gives us another triplet, another three examples from the Bible. He says, they walked in the way of Cain. Now, what did Cain do? Well, there was Cain and Abel. God was pleased with Abel, not, not pleased with Cain. But then what did Cain do? He killed his brother. And be aware, false teachers will attack those who are loyal to God. I, I've experienced this numerous times. Um, when I used to be in another denomination, in a denominational church, um, there were false teachers bringing up um, error. And at times I would just say, well, actually, you can't believe that in the Christian church because this is what the Bible teaches us. And they would attack me. Two, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now, Balaam, he was, he was a prophet who knew God's word on a particular matter. He seeked God. He asked God, what's, what's your word on this? And he told him. But there was an ungodly person looking for a different answer. And he was going to reward Balaam if he could give him the different answer. So Balaam said, oh, no, look, I can only tell you what God says. But he was looking for a loophole. Well, maybe God's changed his mind since last time I asked him. I'll ask him again. And, oh, still the same. Okay, well, maybe if we go to this different spot, we'll have a different perspective and we'll ask God again. He might have changed his mind. No, God didn't change his mind. Well, we'll go, we'll look at it from another perspective and maybe God will change his mind here. No, God didn't change his mind. And in the end, we're told that he taught Israel to sin. And the third example was Korah's rebellion. Now, this is an interesting one because Korah, he was actually set apart to serve God. He was following God. He was serving God, but he overstepped the authority that God had given him and wanted to serve God in a way that God said, you cannot do that. And false teachers are like that. They attack those who are loyal to God. They look for loopholes and they look for different perspectives that will change what God has said before and lead others to sin. And in their pride, they claim an authority that they do not have. He says they're like hidden reefs. It's like a stump out there in the river. We can't see it because it's in brown water. But if you hit that stump in the ski boat, it's going to rip the, rip the whole hull out of your ski boat. And having ungodly teachers in the church can rip the very fabric of the church apart. He says, the shepherds who feed themselves. Now, the job of a shepherd is to look after the flock. 
but they weren't. They were in it for their own benefit. He says they're waterless clouds full of empty promises, swept along by winds. They, they didn't hold firm to God's truth. Whatever is popular on the day, that's what they're going to teach. They're fruitless trees. There might be lots of leafy growth, but there's no spiritual fruit. Twice dead, uprooted. They might appear alive, but they're destined for death. Like surf on the beach that generates a heap of foam. Froth of no godly substance. But you've seen foam on the surf, on the beach, haven't you, that's blown up? It's not pretty. It's not pretty white stuff. That's where all of the impurities and gross stuff in the, in the sea comes out on that foam. Filled with grime. So froth of no godly substance, but filled with grime. Wandering stars. Now you're supposed to be able to navigate by the stars because they have a fixed position. But when, if stars moved like satellites do, or planets at different times of the year, um, it leads people astray. These false teachers, although they claimed to be Christians because they are so ungodly, because they have not kept the faith and they are not teaching the faith and because they're leading people astray and perverting the gospel into sensuality they are bound for eternal judgment verse 16 sums them up these are grumblers malcontents following their own sinful desires the loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage what a contrast. When you think about how the letter began, it's written to the beloved, kept, called. And the blessing for them is a multiplication of, of mercy, peace, and love. But within the church, there are grumbling malcontents following their own sinful desires and set apart for judgment. That's a pretty sobering contrast, isn't it? And this is why we are to contend for the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. It doesn't change. It cannot change. Our role is to study God's word and know the faith so that we can teach the faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ and in his truth, there is mercy, there is peace, there is love. But outside of the faith is judgment. Now, next week, we're going to learn more about how to contend for the faith. Right? So there was a lot of talk of judgment there in that passage, wasn't there? And, and it is focusing on the false teachers in the church, those who would lead people astray into sensuality and away from the faith. But next week, we're going to be learning about, okay, well, how did we deal with this? How do we ourselves keep strong in the faith? How do we contend for the faith? 
And what about those who are being led astray? How can we bring them back to God? And how do we guard against it in the church? So that's what we're going to learn about next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you glory for the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. It is so beautiful. It is so true. It is such a blessing. Lord, help us to never be led astray by ungodly teaching that appeals to the flesh and help us to stand strong against it, always holding to your word, for it is both beautiful and true. In Jesus' name, amen.